Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. This week I'm going to talk about exercise and specifically exercise and eating disorder recovery. This has been a highly requested topic. I'm going to talk about why I personally recommend full rest in recovery. I'm going to talk about the biology behind excessive movement, compulsive movement. I'm also going to answer a few questions that I often get on this topic, such as what do you do if you have unavoidable types of movement? For instance, you have an active job, you have a dog that needs to be walked, you have kids that need to be looked after. And, you know, what do you do if you don't have a disordered relationship with exercise? Can you exercise in recovery then? What counts as exercise? Is walking exercise? Is yoga exercise? How do I handle rest? So let's get into it. So as a recovery coach, I generally do not recommend exercise in recovery, especially not early recovery. And there's a few reasons for that. First of all, and this is a very, very important one, exercise can help uphold an evolutionary stress response where the body basically detects famine and responds by giving urges to migrate. And when I say urges to migrate, I mean urges to move more and also urges to eat less. This is explained wonderfully by Dr. Sean Gussinger in the paper Adapted to Flee Famine. This paper is available for free online if you Google it. I'll also make sure to add it somewhere on Instagram. I've added it before in stories, and I'll see if I can do that again once this episode is out. But let me give just a quick recap of the migration theory. This goes especially for anorexia, but it can also go for other eating disorders, other restrictive eating disorders, such as, for instance, bulimia. And you all know that I don't really operate with diagnosis per se. I operate more with terms. I tend to use the term restrictive eating disorders. So regardless if you're diagnosed or not, or what kind of eating disorder you have, if this resonates, then do take that seriously and do listen. So it seems that a lot of people with eating disorders respond very differently to undernourishment than people without eating disorders. Basically, the state of undernourishment, and in some cases also weight loss, seems to set off this famine response. Basically, the body detects there is a famine going on and kicks into survival mode. And what happens in the survival mode is that you may experience increased urges to move. You get restless, you want to move, you might might be in forms of exercise, so it could be forms of movement, non-exercise movement, such as being very jittery and just having to walk around the house. And in terms of hunger, you may notice that you become very, very obsessed with food. You know, that food is on high priority in your brain, yet your physical hunger might be decreased. So... Whilst a lot of people without eating disorders might feel quite annoyed, bad mood, low blood sugar when they skip a meal, you might feel like almost like you get a little bit of a high from it. Again, not everyone with eating disorder experiences this, but quite a few do. And now I know some of you are going to be like, yeah, that is the case for me. Why though? Is my body trying to kill me? And no, it's actually the opposite. This is your body trying to keep you alive. Let's add an evolutionary perspective here, okay? Imagine you were back in the Stone Age with your tribe, right? And there was a famine going on. Some people would respond by, you know, conserving energy, being tired, resting, and of course also being more hungry so that when food is there, they're going to eat. But if everyone was just tired and sluggish when famine hits, that would be quite bad for the survival of the tribe, right? So, 
this is where the migration theory offer an explanation. For the tribe to survive, it makes sense that some people would get an urge to actually go out there and go and collect the food. So they will get more energy, they'll be able to go out and hunt without having eaten. So from an evolutionary point of view, reacting with being able to tolerate being hungry and also having an increased urge to move and having a food obsession without necessarily having physical hunger in the same way, that makes complete sense. It will make you a really good, you know, hunter back in the days. And then when the group got a meal, then what will happen? Reactive hunger hits in. You get very hungry. You start eating again. Your hunger comes back and you get out of this famine mode. But now, you know, we have a lot of anxieties because we live in a diet culture that paints food as a threat. And then the anxiety aspect of an eating disorder comes in where it sees food as a threat and then get anxious of engaging in, you know, this normal reactive eating after a period of famine. And also another thing that is being used as an example in the migration theory, also why it's called migration theory, is birds migrating. When resources are scarce, then birds will migrate to a place where there's better temperature, more food, more safety, better for their survival. Imagine if the birds were to get tired from being hungry and had to constantly stop eating. It will put their survival at risk. So if you look at it from this evolutionary lens, a lot of things suddenly make a lot of sense. Time and time again, I have people with eating disorders explain their relationship with exercise to me, and it is almost like a, like a compulsive urge, right? It is like a drive that is so strong, almost like, you know, avoiding water when you're thirsty or staying awake when you are tired, right? That is how difficult it is to avoid exercise because it feels like just a primal urge. And then the same people, when I work with them as clients, as they enter recovery and refeeding, they notice that the urges, urges lessen. They're coming into treatment with me and they're expecting that we're going to have to work a lot on the exercise part and a lot of, you know, affirmations and all of that to accept rest, blah, blah, blah. But very often what happens is that the urges kind of just dissolve by full rest and recovery. And I say full rest and full recovery because if you're kind of halfway restricting and then you exercise a bit and you're kind of like dipping your toe into recovery and also dipping your toe into eating disorder behaviors, then the urge is not really going to go away because your body is like, okay, well, famine is not over yet. It's not safe to go into rest mode. So the good news here, because I know this was a lot of information, but the good news here is that actually rest makes rest easier. And engaging in compulsive movement tells your body that, hey, yeah, there is actually famine. I need to move. I need to find food. You know, you're staying in that famine state and that's not really going to help your recovery nor the urges. So another reason why I tend to advocate full rest and recovery had to do with hormones and periods. Exercise in recovery can prevent restoration of normal menstrual cycles for recoverers who normally menstruate and have lost their periods, aka hypothalamic amenorrhea. And hypothalamic amenorrhea can harm fertility and bone density. And this bone density part is quite sketchy because you see this a lot in certain sports where the people lose their periods and then, you know, decreases bone density and then they start getting injuries. You know, they'll have a very simple fall that most people would just barely get a little bit of discomfort from and it actually like breaks their leg because their bones are so fragile due to having lost their period due to excessive movement. And this can happen even if you are at your healthy, normal set point weight range, and also even if you are eating enough. 
Yeah, it's very sad because a lot of young promising athletes have had their careers ended prematurely due to bone injuries, which is rooted in the decreased bone density due to the period loss. And I think that the normalization of period loss within sports is just an absolute health hazard. So if you are someone who is in recovery from eating disorder, or maybe even you feel like you are pretty much recovered, and you are at your healthy set point weight range, you're eating enough, you're not having any restrictions, but you still haven't got your period back if you're someone who normally menstruates, then trying a period of rest could really, really help you. Another reason why I advocate for rest and recovery is that if you're exercising in recovery, this can prevent metabolic healing. Let me explain that a bit. So imagine you're eating a decent recovery mile let's say you're eating 3000 calories right but you are running you're fidgeting and you're like oh i just really need to vacuum three times a day and therefore you're kind of burning away a third of those calories then you are not really giving your body the energy it needs to restore its metabolism and to do full repair instead you'll just stay in this kind of like semi-starvation mode where you know your metabolism is not properly healing and you also won't get the full cognitive effects of recovery because you're, you're still in starvation mode and when i say cognitive effects this is things such as less rigidity less body dysmorphia and also less food obsession because these are all tied to being in a starvation state i hear so many people who are in recovery and they're like oh yeah but i was eating a good amount in recovery and why why is my metabolism still broken why is this why is that and then i asked them did you exercise in recovery and they're like yeah i did <laughs> right so do yourself a favor and give yourself full rest which takes me to the other reason which is just that your body is so goddamn tired and desperate for rest whether you sense it or not and also not to mention that if you are undernourished and slash or underweight your muscles are already broken down and this is why in recovery you actually gain muscles without lifting any weights and I say this because so many people are in recovery and they're like oh yeah but if I don't lift weights then I won't gain any muscles you will gain muscles because your muscles are already broken down. That's also how strength exercise works, right? The way to build muscles in the gym is that you go to the gym to break down your muscles and then you give yourself a lot of food and rest so it heals and your muscles build back stronger. But in recovery from eating disorder, your muscles are usually already broken down because it's been so starved that it haven't had enough energy to, you know, stay up. Muscle loss is a very common thing in eating disorders because you're simply not giving your body enough energy to keep the muscles so if you don't feel tired in recovery, it could be this, what I mentioned with this, you know, famine response, that your body is in the famine response where it's giving you urges to move around because I think there is a famine going on and it's trying to make you survive. But when it gets out of this mode, you will very often notice that tiredness kicks in and you actually start noticing how tired your body really is because your body has just been running on these stress hormones and now that you're giving your body enough energy to fully rest, you're realizing, oh my god. I am really, really tired. And this is where the recovery fatigue hits. This is not recovery's fault. It's actually delayed response to all the starvation and excessive movement you have done to your body. So very often people go from a point where they literally struggle sitting still and just get excessive urges to move to a point where they're so exhausted they can barely get out of bed. And then last but not least... I work with the do everything the eating disorder don't want you to do as, a pro as an approach just because I find this to be most effective and the truth is the eating disorder often really don't want to rest. 
opposite actions, you know? Learning to be comfortable with rest and moving in a way that isn't forced, rigid, compensatory, eating disorder driven is a key aspect of recovery. And very often, even in very, very motivated people in recovery, I see these urges to move sneaking in, often it will sneak in in disguise. For example, they might have heard, oh, walking is okay in recovery, and then that walking turns into a two-hour rigid power walk to deserve food. Or they might have heard, oh, you can walk, but only 30 minutes a day, and then that turns into, I must walk 30 minutes a day. If you have an eating disorder, I'm sure you know the drill here, and I just don't want to feed into that loop. So very often if people are given permission to exercise in recovery, they feel guilty if they're not. Especially when the recovery fatigue hits, where they physically do not have energy to exercise, right? And if given permission to exercise, for instance, going for walks, it can very quickly become sneaky, obsessive, forced, rigid, and eating disorder driven overall. And if the thought of taking a break from exercise and recovery is making you very anxious, then chances are you really do need that break. Because again, opposite actions, that's the way ahead in recovery. And if your eating disorder is telling you you can only recover if you exercise, then by doing so, you are listening to eating disorder, which is not very productive in recovery. Because you want to do the opposite of what the eating disorder is telling you again and again and again. So as you can see, there are a lot of physical and mental reasons why I advocate rest in recovery. And I also think if you have this very rushed thing where you just need to get back into exercise as soon as possible, that's also something to be a little bit critical about and something to sit with. There is no need to rush right back into exercise after recovery. And if you have those surges, sit with that. How come you have those surges, right? Take your time and find ways to move your body that feels good for you. That is not rigid, that is not eating disorder driven. You might have thought that you love going to the gym, but after recovery you realized, oh, I actually really prefer, you know, doing some dancing instead, right? And in terms of the gym, be aware that certain spaces can sometimes, you know, really reinforce toxic ideas about exercise and bodies. For example, you might go to a dance class, let's say salsa or burlesque or whatsoever, where the focus is, you know, on feeling good in your skin and moving yourself with joy, all of these things, rather than how many calories did we burn this class? Whilst at the gym, there literally will be classes named after how many calories you're supposed to burn within one class, right? Or maybe you find out that you do love the gym, but running on the treadmill for ages was not necessarily your favorite thing. You might find other things in the gym that you like more. So let's talk about some things I get asked a lot from you guys when it comes to exercise and recovery. And the first one is, what counts as exercise? And you know what? There is not always a clear-cut answer to everything, including this one. But there are some indicators to look for. For example, a lot of people ask me, is walking exercise? And, you know, it does depend, but in general, I would say yes. Of course, we all need to, you know, walk to the grocery store or walk to wherever we need to go, right? Some form of walking is a completely unavoidable part of life. But if you find that you need to walk for a specific time, in a specific pace burn a specific amount of calories, get anxious if your walk is cancelled, go for those walks even if the weather is really bad or you're not feeling well, find yourself taking, you know, longer routes to make your walk longer, feel like you need to walk to deserve food, go for those really intense power walks instead of, you know, going to the park and sitting down on the bench because sitting down on the bench makes you feel guilty because you're spending your walk time resting. 
Again, can you see? Can you see where I'm going here? Can you see the pattern here? Well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to basically f show you ways where the eating disorder can show up in t even types of movement that is generally often considered good or okay, even in eating disorder recovery. And this also goes with yoga and also stretching. So let's focus on yoga first. A lot of people, if they're you know given the green flag to do yoga what i see very often is that people will have the same thing with that i mentioned with walking where they will feel guilty if they don't do it and also very often this yoga just becomes very intensive yoga right it's not just sitting there in child pose and breathing it becomes this intensive cardio workout and similar goes with stretching you know stretching in itself it's not exactly something that is a calorie blaster right but very often people feel like they must do this to deserve food and it becomes part of a ritual. So investigates your reasons for wanting to do certain types of movements. Is it to ease the eating disorder? And the answer for this is different to everyone. You know, some people just enjoy a bit of stretch because it makes them feel good. But then there are other people who come to a point where they feel so guilty if they haven't stretched and they must stretch before a meal, you know, and it becomes this eating disorder obsession. And then I have people asking me, oh, but what about, you know, non-exercise movement that I kind of have to do? So for instance, someone commented on my post asking about, yeah, but what about like walking my dog, right? So here's the thing. Your body, from a biological perspective, can't really tell the difference if you are walking your dog because you needed to walk your dog or if you are on some eating disorder power walk. Psychologically, there's a difference, but biologically, there's not. It's not like your body is like, oh, I really need rest. Oh, oh, but the dog needs walking, so then I don't need rest physically anymore. That That's just not how our body works, right? And I think when it comes to, for instance, dog walking, a good thing to look at, just using the example of dog walking, is are you, for instance, saying no to people offering to walk your dog for you because you feel like you must do that walk yourself, right? Are you hesitant to, for instance, go to the dog park and sit down and let your dog run, dog run around without you running after it? Or are you hesitant to drive to the dog park and, and you feel like you just need to walk there, right? Again, can you see how the eating disorder can sneak in here as well to kind of make you move as much as possible? And I, of course, also understand that rest is a privilege. It's a privilege not everyone can afford. For instance, there are people with manual jobs that does require them to be physically active. And also you might have children and you can't exactly stop looking after your children, right? If you are in either of these situations, I would encourage you to see how can I implement rest in my job, in my lifestyle, in my parenting in the best possible way. And if you can't do it, make sure that you are eating a lot, okay? I see a lot of people with very like demanding jobs and they often need a lot, lot, lot of food in recovery. Try and limit movement as much as you can for you. And if you can't ask someone for help, then definitely do that. If there are any kind of adjustments available for you, then take those adjustments, right? But it's such a complex question because, you know, it depends on what kind of job you have, what kind of, you know, lifestyle you have, and also what kind of resources you have available, what kind of community you have, you know, are you in this alone? Do you have people to support you? Just due to the nature of podcasts, it is generalized advice, and most listeners will, of course, understand that. 
But there's always like that one person who will email me like, yeah, but what about a firefighter with 10 children and 15 dogs? And it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I hope that person has supports and find an individualized approach that can work for them, whether what that means to them is up to them and depending on their own resources and specific situation. But the truth is for most people, resting more is something that is doable and especially cutting out unnecessary movements such as going to the gym, right? These type of movements are easier to cut out. To what extent you can rest, of course, depends on work, lifestyle, resources, etc., etc. But very often I hear from people who are in that group where they can actually rest very easily and they're like, yeah, but what about, what about, what about? Basically trying to justify themselves staying active because of other people who are not having that privilege of resting. And it's almost like, well, if they can do it, then I can do it, right? The eating disorder just loves this type of thinking. What other people do in their recoveries has nothing to do with your own. You need to do what's best for you. If you're constantly looking for loopholes as to how and why you can exercise, then chances are that's the eating disorder. Instead, just be happy that you have the privilege to rest, right? You don't need to feel guilty about that. And speaking of loopholes, one thing that I get asked quite often is, oh, but I didn't really struggle with exercise in my eating disorder. I don't really struggle with it. Does that mean I can exercise in recovery? And I kind of want to circle back to what I said in the start when I explained, you know, just the biology when it comes to metabolism and how you really do need rest and recovery. This still applies even if you did not exercise during eating disorder. You still need rest in recovery because you are doing so much repair in your body right now. And also by exercising, as I said, you're kind of burning off energy that could have gone to repairing your metabolism, your body, and you would miss out on certain benefits physically, mentally. And very often what I see is that when people really, really want to implement exercise in recovery, even if they hadn't necessarily struggled with exercise during the eating disorder, the reasons behind it is very often a little bit eating disorder rooted. So for instance, they might feel like they need to control the weight gain or control how they gain weight, right? So a common one is, oh, but I want to gain muscles, right? And I spoke about this more in the episode called The Fitness Trap. And I explained earlier that you do gain muscles in recovery from rest. But you know, the underlying anxieties here is eating disorder driven, right? It's this thing of that the weight gain is something that needs to be controlled. It's something that you know that there is a right way to gain and by following these things, you know, engaging in exercise, when you have those thoughts, you are giving more fuel to your eating disorder and you're fueling a part of you that you'd rather get rid of. And I think if you know all of this, all of the information I've told you in this episode, and you still really feel like you should exercise in recovery because you don't struggle with exercise, that is probably something to question, right? Now you have all of these reasons why you shouldn't, yet you just have a desperate urge to exercise. But, oh, I don't have a disordered relationship with exercise. Can you see how that is a little bit of a, a bit of an oxymoron, right? And I've said it before in this episode, and I'll say it again. If you are feeling very, very anxious about the prospect of rest in recovery, then chances are you really do need that rest. I personally did not struggle with exercise during my eating disorder. And I want to say that because, you know, eating disorders love comparison. And I know some people might think, oh, I never struggled with exercise in my eating disorder. That means that I wasn't really sick. 
right? But exercise is something that not all people with eating disorders struggle with. You know, it manifests differently in every person. I did not have any urges to move. I had urges to lay down in my bed all day. It is called an eating disorder, not an exercise disorder. The exercise part is a side effect in many, but not all cases. And also many people experience that it kind of comes and goes. You know, they might have a phase where exercise was not that big of a deal. And then they have a phase where they have really compulsive exercise. You know, it can also really fluctuate. I know a lot of people who first got an eating disorder, didn't have issues with exercise. And then they relapsed after a period of remission. And then suddenly exercise was a problem. Or the other way around, where they had problems with exercise the first time they were sick and then they got better and then now exercise is not really a problem anymore, but they used to have a problem with it, but now it's more about the food, right? So another thing that I get asked a lot is, how do I handle rest? And the first thing that I kind of want to say is, again, going back a bit to what I said in the beginning, be aware of what is going on and why you feel these urges to move. If you know that it actually is this evolutionary biological response where you have these urges, right? If you know that, it might be easier for you to rest. But remind yourself of the science and biology at times. For example, did you know that food-restricted rats will run more and more on their wheel until they die of starvation? Smith, 1989 for referencing. And by being aware of the biology, you also know that when you are ignoring the urges and choosing rest, you are making it easier with time. And you also know that if you are going and engaging in the exercise, you're making it worse with time. It's a little bit like a mosquito bite, right? You know, it's itchy. And when you itch it, it feels good in the moment because you're scratching the itch. But then it just gets way more itchy. And that is why we say don't scratch mosquito bites. And that is also why I say don't exercise in recovery. <laughs> Another strategy to use when you are, you know, in recovery and you're resting is to find a distraction behavior that keeps you busy but not physically moving around especially if it's something that keeps you busy with your hands that can be very very helpful so for instance painting uh, jewelry making pottery drawing writing knitting any sort of craft work that keeps your hands busy can be very helpful Basically, the exercises become a habit and habit gives you a habit cue, right? It gives you a cue to do something. And when you get this cue, you can engage in a behavior that is different, right? And that way you kind of retrain the cue a bit. That was a bit of neurology there, but yeah, just very simply explained. Engaging in these behaviors that are not exercise, but they keep you, you know, occupied can be quite helpful. Basically reprogramming your brain a bit. But also sometimes sitting in the feeling can be helpful, you know, sitting in the feeling and realizing that this is just a feeling, it can't kill you. That can be quite empowering and that is also part of recovery. So pick up a soothing craft activity, but also allow yourself to feel like shit sometimes. <laughs> also eat more. Eat, eat, eat. If you are undernourished, then the urges might be worse, right? So you need to eat and also be honest with yourself about your non-exercise movement. Do you catch yourself constantly having to move around, constantly having to tidy or clean or just walk around in the house or like shake your leg, something like that? Be mindful of that because that is also a form of movement and that can also keep the famine response going. 
So I don't have a listener question for this episode because this entire episode I have answered multiple listener questions. I kind of wanted to answer them throughout the episode because I felt that was quite relevant. And also we're running low on time here. This episode is getting long. But it is a very big topic. And I could have gone way more in detail, especially on the handling rest part, but I simply do not have time because this episode is soon half an hour long. Overall, it gets worse before better. Rest gets easier with time. You need to show your body that there is no famine going on. Food is coming in. Rest is happening. Then you will notice that it gets easier. And when you are ready for it, no time rush, then you can reintroduce joyful movement that make you feel good. And there are a few questions to ask yourself in terms of exercise. If your exercise had no effect on how your body would look like and how your weight gain would turn out, would you still engage in it? If it burned zero calories, would you still do it? And just because you say, yeah, I'd still do it, doesn't mean that you can now freely exercise in recovery, but it's more just a question to kind of ask yourself. Because for a lot of people, they realize, oh, hmm... Remember that if your exercise is driven by self-hatred, then it's probably healthier to rest. And if you feel very defensive when challenged about your exercise, then this could also be something to sit with, because very often, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So if you catch yourself really high-pulsed, irritated during this episode and just want to kind of counter-debate me, then sit with those feelings and find yourself, ask yourself, why? How come I get defensive from hearing this information? And yeah, joyful movement is key. Movement that make you feel good is not about hating your body. But even if you move in a ways now and you're in recovery and you move in ways that feel good for your body and you are enjoying exercise, then you still need rest because you are in recovery, okay? No rush. Give yourself time to heal. And if you question your relationship with exercise, it's perfectly fine to take a break. And if thoughts of taking the break make you anxious, chances are you really do need that break. Okay, guys, I will see you next week. And thank you for listening and tuning in. Really appreciate you guys.